This is part two of a very, very special season two opener for More Than A Job podcast, which can be found on Twitter at underscore more than a job, in which we are live from Research Ed and we have got another fantastic episode for you today to hear some fantastic insights from David Didow, Varela Brayla, Alex Quigley, Stuart Pinnock, Heather Fern, Jonathan Barnes of John Cat, Tom Sherrington, Abby Bayford, Esther Gray, and Professor Rob Coe. What a fantastic way to get back to normal. What a fantastic way to start the new academic year than seeing all these educators at Research Ed. A wonderful, wonderful event organised by Tom and Helene, and our thanks goes out to them. For those who weren't able to make it, or for those who weren't able to necessarily see the speakers that they wanted to, I hope this is the second part of a two-part season opener of More Than A Job podcast will help give you a little bit of a snippet, a bit of a highlights package of what Research Ed 2021 has all been about. I am Daniel Bull, and we'll take it away. Peace and clear now, baby. Yeah, yeah, cause it begins like... I'm studying the foyer of uh, research ed here, so apologies if we've got any background noise, but I'm with David Didow. I've well pronounced done. it right. Very good. I, yeah. wrote, I wrote it down, so I knew I was pronouncing it right. David, this is going to be really difficult for you. I, I sat in your talk first thing this morning. You're one of the, the first on, which means you must be good. <laughs> right, you're first on. Can you summarise in, in a sentence or two what you were talking about? Curriculum progression, right? Yeah, so everyone knows that the curriculum is meant to be a progression model. And, and, and it's probably just me, but I've just found that really hard to understand. And so I spent a few years thinking about what it means. And, and the presentation was on uh, what, you ha- what you might have to do to make that a reality. And there are two things, really, that stop it. And, and, and one of them is that your curriculum has to be really, really good and really carefully specified. Otherwise, you end up assessing kids on things you haven't taught them. Uh, and the other thing is it needs to be really carefully, thoughtfully sequenced to ensure that, that, that children are progressively being asked to do things which are harder or rely on things that go before and that you get that right. And that's easier in some, subject, some subjects than in others, uh, but that's, I guess that's the gist of it. And my, in my, like, my golden thing is stop assessing kids on things you haven't taught them. I bet you'd be really interested in a, an SLT meeting, wouldn't you? A, a management meeting or a leadership meeting at any secondary school or primary school where people have obviously got different ideas and you just maybe go in and, 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 and set people right. I, I was really interested. You said something about don't use data that's wrong. You know, when you're feeding back to parents. Right. And, you know, why, why, why talk about data that's, that's not accurate and, and, and stuff like that? One of the things in your blurb I was just reading about before, it says you're controversial. Why are you controversial? Uh, because uh, I may or maybe I'm not, but uh, sometimes people don't like what I say. Is that because it's all data driven and you're actually prepared no. to ask the difficult questions? Oh, maybe it's more that I'm just I've just got a big gob and uh, I'm probably not. It probably just means rude. <laughs> you're quite a big fish, and you you won't say this about yourself, but you're quite a big fish in the education world. You've written several books. Can you give our listeners just a quick run through the books you've written? And, uh, and sell yourself. Why should they buy your books? Well, they shouldn't really. They're better. If, they're probably better off not buying them. Um, I've, the, the one I've just written on for, for on English. Um, I, I'm, you know, that's quite interesting. I've written one on leadership uh, called Intelligent Accountability. 
uh, and you know various others but you know I mean we've just heard f- from a Becky Allen that there, you know it's all we're all wrong and we won't make things better and we just need to accept that and then we can and then we can move on um, so I've got nothing we'll all go down the pub yeah that's that sounds that'd be better wouldn't it do you know maybe if everyone was just a bit more relaxed and a bit nicer that that's maybe that's enough that's, that, that is the answer. Maybe that's got to be your next book, Relaxed and Nicer <laughs> by David. You, but then you won't be controversial. That's not going to sell, is it? It's not going to sell. David Dido, thanks for coming on More Than A Job Thank podcast. You. Thank you. Thanks. So it's Jay Ollerton, still at Research Ed, and I'm very lucky to be joined by Verena Brayler, who is working with Ofsted. Um, we've just heard Amanda Spielman talking about the growing body of researchers at Ofsted uh, to help support understanding of the challenges that children face in a variety of circumstances. Can you tell me about what you see Ofsted's mission in research being and, and where you see this research heading, what you think is going to be your biggest challenge? Yes, of course, and great to be here at Research Ed. Uh, thanks for talking to me. So as Amanda just explained, in her kind of in model of an inspectorate, there are different layers of how an inspectorate works, starting from putting out the frameworks of what the standards in education and social care should look like, to um, you know, going into children's services, making these judgments, making the reports, and then the final layer in this model is really the research and the analysis. So the benefit of doing the research and analysis in an inspectorate is that you can really start seeing the bigger picture. Each inspection alone can only show you so much of what is happening you know, in one foster care placement or in one school. But if you add all of that insight together and you know, bring it together also with other research done by other people, you can start seeing the bigger picture, the bigger theme. So that's what we are there for. We are the research and evaluation team at Ofsted. We're a team of around 40 people. Um, we okay. have other, other teams in Offset who also help with analysis and insight. And we are really there to see kind of the bigger patterns and themes, what is happening in education and social care. What's your biggest, what's your biggest challenge at the moment? So what's your focus at the moment? Is there one that you're particularly looking at? You know, we've just had COVID, we've just had lockdown, we've got um, alternative revision, we've had the whole thing of home learning. So, so what's the project that you're currently delving into? Yeah, we have a, a quite a big portfolio of around 15 projects at the moment, I would okay. say, but quite a few are looking at recovery after COVID. How long will it take the sector to recover? What does good recovery look like? Um, are some of the new government initiatives helping and, and actually working? So that's some of the things we're looking into. All right, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for coming on More Than The Job podcast. Thank you. Bye. Hi, it's Jay Ollerton here with More Than A Job Podcast. I'm at Research Ed, and I've just listened to our first talk from Alex Quigley and Joe Collin on feedback to improve pupil learning. Now, you talk about principles over methods when it comes to feedback for pupils. Joe, can you explain that a little bit more to me? Yeah, so uh, essentially what our guidance says is that there's been too much emphasis on feedback methods in the past 20 years. So on should you give written or verbal feedback? And actually, it's the wrong question. You can give really great written, really terrible written, and the same for for verbal feedback. And actually, what we should focus on is principles, and specifically three things. So firstly, laying solid foundations. So high-quality initial instruction is really crucial. The second is is thinking about the timing and content and feedback and making sure that it's appropriately timed and focused on moving learning forward. And the final point was really crucial and really critical is making sure that pupils use the feedback given. And if they don't, there's, there's no point in giving it. 
Wonderful, thank you. It's been wonderful to listen to you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Great, thanks. So this is Jay Ollerton again, and I'm live at Research Ed, and I've been joined by Stuart Pinnock, who has just finished his talk, session three today. Stuart's talk was on what is essential knowledge in the school subject of English literature. So Stuart... What is essential knowledge in the school subject of English literature? Uh, I spoke for 40 minutes about that, and I can tell you at the end of it, I had to say, who knows? <laughs> um, the, the, it's a great subject in English literature, but it's very contested. So there isn't any agreement over what knowledge is in the subject. Um, there are lots of ideas about what it is, but there really isn't agreement on any fundamental knowledge base in the subject of English literature. That's one of the beauties of the subject. It's also a bit scary as well, because um, we we find it hard to define exactly what it is we're teaching at times. But that's okay, because the subject is one in which it's about developing people's individual interpretations. So the fact we couldn't come to an overall agreement on that isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yes, I mean, I'm, I'm an RE teacher by yeah. trade myself, so your subject, my subject, is quite subjective. Yeah. Does, though, the fact that you can't pinpoint necessarily essential knowledge at Key Stage 3, because I know that was the focus of your talk, does that have a massive impact then on the provision and teaching at Key Stage 4 and beyond? And that's what some of the attendees to my session were asking me, because ultimately kids have to sit an exam at Key Stage 4, so they do have to know things. Key Stage 3 is an opportunity to kind of broadly educate them, and I wouldn't want to move away from that. But always at the back of teachers' minds is the fact that Key Stage 4 is coming up. So that's the, that's the tension at Key Stage 3 between wanting to broadly educate them but also prepare them for GCSE. So therefore, it kind of leads people to wanting to say we need to teach them a specific set of ideas to prepare them for Key Stage 4. That's the reality of the education system that we have. Um, just as an aside on it, and you're talking about essential knowledge and content, maybe content. Obviously, there's been a lot of contentious debate over carrying on of, of Mice and Men and To Kill a Mockingbird taught across English. What's your thoughts on it? Would you still, as an educator, want to teach those? They still have a place in our society at the moment or not? They're two very important novels. Both of them tell us a lot about what it is to be human and how we treat other human beings. They're not the only books that do that, though. And I think if we don't cast the net wider at times in terms of the literature we're giving to our kids, we can become stuck in a rut. So I love both of those books. I sincerely think they are important books, but there are other works of literature out there. So I'm not going to be wedded to particular books in this. However, what I don't necessarily like, and I know many English teachers object to, is something coming from on high telling us what we can and can't teach. I think that's the major issue. So I'm with Heather Fern. Heather is a senior Her Majesty's Inspector. That's a mouthful. You lead Ofsted's curriculum unit. You're at Research Ed 2021. You're looking a slightly more relaxed because you've already spoken. Yeah. How did it go this morning? I think it went really well. I was actually really, um, really um, admiring of our audience because it was quite a technical piece, really, talking about the process of creating our research reviews. And there was a good audience there that stood, stayed with me till the end. So, yeah, it went very well. And it's the first time in which we've have had the opportunity to speak face-to-face -face with people about this work. So it was lovely to be out there doing it. So it was a positive experience. Maybe you might come back again. 
yeah, probably. Yeah, can't miss research head. Yeah, it's quite good actually thinking about. It. I mean, Amanda Spielman's mm. been speaking this morning, and we interviewed her earlier on. The, and I, I think it's a really positive thing that Ofsted are interacting in, in, in events such as this and opening up a little bit of the process and what teachers can expect. I think it's a really positive thing. What did you talk about this morning to, to, to your audience? So the, so the talk was about our research reviews. So we are writing, in the process of writing, a series of subject-specific research reviews which consider the nature of a high-quality subject education, each subject, and what research has to say about that. And so I was talking a little bit about the process of thinking about what is a high-quality subject education um, and so there was some application to schools but a lot of it was actually uh, a little just sort of opening up the, the door on, on what, what it is that we're doing. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because you spoke for about 45 minutes this morning and I'm going to ask you to summarise what makes that key thing for a subject in terms of the content relating it back to the offset inspection if you're a, a middle leader head of department or even a senior leader could you give one one nugget that, 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 that you're looking for? I say is that um, what is important is that subject specificity. It's by having that focus on thinking about the nature of the subject and how each subject is different, there's different ways of thinking about progression, different assessment needs and exploring subject difference and ensuring that as a senior leader you are able to understand the differences between subjects and what it means to, for children to make progress in those different subjects. Heather, you, you work with schools yeah. you know, in, in your role. How do schools get in touch with you how do they contact you how do they get you involved in their work or if they need some advice in terms of developing that that aspect what would they do I guess generally we have um, different forms of outreach so at the moment we're in the middle of conducting a range of regional roadshows for school leaders and so in each region we've got a thousand um, school leaders signed up in each region coming along to hear and so that we can communicate to as many people as possible in one space a bit about the framework our thinking and just being really transparent about the, the nature of, of what we're thinking about what is a quality education will we inspect a little bit of about about you your, your background's in history yeah that's right in you, politics actually history and politics yeah. is, is have you taught that were you yes, that was... that's right yeah so before um before i had been a teacher for 16 years um teaching history and politics that's right and at various other positions wow that is that is impressive and i i spoke to a colleague this morning who'd been to your talk and absolutely loved it so well done for, you. Your, for, for, for research thanks for coming on the podcast and we'll hopefully speak to you again Pleasure. thank you I'm with Jonathan Barnes from John Cat Publishing and they've got a massive bookstore here at Research Ed. Virtually every education book you've ever heard of is being sold here. I think, is it for £9.99? £10 for um, all books, but those that retail at £10, even cheaper. So nothing more expensive than £10. Wow. I mean, that, that, that's like being a kid in a sweet shot, isn't it, for, Absolutely. Some, for some teachers? <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the, the kind of books that you publish at John, John Cat. I'll, I'll set you a bit of a... I'm going to put you on the spot now. Do you know what your best-selling book is? Uh, yes. Well, our books are professional development books for teachers. Um, we work closely with Research Ed, so we have a Research Ed series, um, which is um, proving very popular. Our best-selling books is probably part of the In Action series that um, we do in... Uh, in partnership with um, Tom Sherrington, who's the series editor, and his book Rosenstein's Principles in Action has certainly been our top seller over the last couple of years. And then we also have the Teaching Walkthrough series with Tom and uh, Oliver Caviglioli, 
um, which is also proved. Well done on the very good. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm used to it. I know it well. Yeah. Obviously, online. So I take you've got your own website. Yes. Are you the leading education publisher? Again, put you on the spot. <laughs> I'd like to think we're up there with the with the best. Yes. I, I think you are because I mean I'm just looking at the yeah. books that you're selling. And I think I bought you know I bought a lot of the, your your titles and stuff. Best way of getting your books online. You're on Twitter. Yes. Um, we're, we're on Twitter where we promote all our books. All our books are available through the usual channels. We have our own website, obviously Amazon, um, Waterstones online, and some bookshops as well um, that have good education sections. Put you on the spot again. Yeah. There'll be people who want to write their own books and want to publish their own books. How do they approach that with you? Um, well, we're always open to suggestions. There's obviously some people here who um, are speaking and attending who've got some great ideas, and we're happy to hear from them. Um, if they drop us a line with even just an idea or more of a full, full, fully formed um, proposal, we're always happy to hear ideas and you know, they can grow into books quite easily. John Cat Publishing is the place to be. Get on the website, get buying some books. And if you're down at Research Ed, uh, or, or if you're not down at Research Ed, come down next year and, and get hold of some of these books. Jonathan, thank you very much. Thank you. So here we are at Research Ed. We are incredibly lucky that we've just caught up with Tom Sherrington. Tom Sherrington, the author and consultant working with schools and colleges around the UK and internationally to support the professional learning of teachers. So Tom, your talk today was on the memory muscle. <laughs> not a muscle. No, it, no, it's not. Okay, I had it in my keep head. It in, James. Keep, we'll yeah, keep, no, we'll, we'll, keep recording. Yeah, I know, I know. The, I know. the listeners would Sorry. love to hear your mistake. I know, it's brilliant. I make them all the time. Sorry, it's gone. It's gone from my sorry. The memory model. So Tom, <laughs> your so Tom, your talk, which I'm just sat through. Your talk was on the memory model, but can you explain to us what is the memory model? Well, the one I'm using is the one that Dan Willingham and others have promoted, where you basically have a working memory and a long-term memory, and it's the way they interact to allow children to process new information and to connect it to what they already know. And it's got various implications for how you teach because you've got to secure kids' attention, you've got to get them to practice things, you've got to make sure they don't forget things, and they've got to organise all those ideas into some kind of coherent form. And my basic message is that the, the, that simple model does a really powerful job to address all kinds of learning issues without us over-worrying about whether the model is absolutely perfect mm. and flawless and, and so on. OK, wonderful. Is this model... Is it going to form the part of a, a new book? Because we, we, at the school myself and James work at, we're, uh, we've officially adopted walkthroughs as our uh, basically teacher training. And, and, you know, I think that's a, a rather popular book. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I noticed you've got it on your mobile yeah, I have, phone. Yeah, it's got it's one of my little merchandise there. No, but the, the, the model is, is there. I mean, Dan Williams' book, Why Don't Students Like School, uh, uses the model for us from 2009. And in our, one of our walkthroughs, we've got a, a, a sketch like the one I used in my talk, which... So we're encouraging people to, to use it. But the model is not, not remotely ours. It comes out of cognitive science and it's used when we're talking about any kind of cognitive science. People talk about working memory and long-term memory. The reason I, I raise it in a session like this is because sometimes people challenge it and, and, and talk about it being reductive and it leads to teachers just doing lots of quizzes and that kind of thing. And I'm trying to say, well, no, there's way more to it than that, of course. And we don't need the model to be endlessly complex. We just need to keep it simple and used it to kind of constantly engage with the 
thinking around how do we teach complex ideas to children and, and so on. So I, I hopefully people find it useful. But yeah, the model is there to be seen already. And William's book is superb. And we, we do reference it in the walkthroughs, but we're, we're, we're sort of standing on his shoulders for sure. You're doing a very good job putting the attention on other educational authors, but you're probably the leading UK educational author. <laughs> there or thereabouts. You're very modest today. No. But, but just give our listeners, particularly NQTs, ITTs, um, a quick run through the books you've written because they're very famous within the teaching world but well, sell I, yourself about down. four years ago I did The Learning Rainforest which is I, I guess the, the work where I started thinking well and I write down everything I know or think about and then the, the Rose and Shine in Action book that came about which is a bit of a fluke really that it's, it did well because someone just asked me to write the shortest book I could about that so I did yeah. and, it's, and because it's so quick to read people brought it a lot and then the walkthroughs was the Oli, Oli, Oliver Cariglioli mm-hmm. He had this idea that we could try to capture strategies visually, and so he asked me to partner up with him. And then, yeah, so walk through one and two, and we're going to do three, and that'd be the set. That's gone done, gone done really well. And I think it's the combination of the visuals with the text that makes it kind of work. So mm. that's be, I, I feel lucky to have got into this. Now I sort of could sort of think of myself as an author, which is kind of ridiculous, really, because really I'm just a physics teacher. <laughs> and now you've been on... I say just, but, you know. Yeah. Now you've featured on More Than A Job podcast. There's nothing else to do, is there? Well, yeah, I mean, this is it. You may as well, you may as well quit days. today. You may as well finish <laughs> now. Tom, can I jump in? You're not just an author. You're an influencer. <laughs> you are shaping. You are shaping education. Well, I just have... I'm just lucky to have, like, a lot of followers on Twitter, and so I can bang stuff out. I, it's funny how these things accumulate. I, I love start, the way you say, oh, I'm just lucky to have done this. Oh, I just I looked just, into this. I was just there I at the right time, I honestly. Like I, I mean, so, I, I, the Rose was particularly fluky, I have to say. It was sort of, you know, anyone could have written that book. But yeah, it, but it, outstanding teachers and outstanding yeah. writers make their own luck, don't Tom, let's be perfectly honest. We'd love to speak to you more in more detail. Dan's our booking man, he's here now. Yeah. So if we could maybe book you for a, for a longer session, we'd love to. Yeah, you know, sure. be, It'd be absolutely fascinating. But thanks for speaking no, to us. No, it's been a real minutes. pleasure. Good luck with it all. It's great to talk to you. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thanks. We're just here at Research Ed. We're coming to the afternoon. People are getting a little bit tired now. And we're here with Abby Bayford and Esther Gray, who are both delegates today. They've gone around and enjoyed lots and lots. What are the key takeaways from today, Abby? I've just been in Nimish's session on Marge with Dawn, which was absolutely fantastic. And we love that Nimish described Marge as the gateway drug to cognitive science. But we actually agree. So the model, really accessible, isn't it? Yeah. Lots of linkage with um, other cognitive science that we've looked at. What would you say about Just lots of really practical um, tips about applying it. um, But with a bit of a health warning that it'd it'd be easy to kind of implement it. Uh, without thinking and not to use it as a checklist type of thing Um, so yeah I think that I'm really going to go away and have a proper look at the book and read the articles online Um, I'd like to sort of just sort of investigate that much further yeah and we've really missed having these conversations being able to leave a session kick it about think about its practical implications yeah. yeah, it's yeah. been a great day. I think today has been about challenging um, our ideas as well. I mean, yeah. several of the sessions I've been to have really challenged the research. It's not just about sharing the research, it's kind of looking at it through a sort of critical lens and sense-making together. And I think that's been a really healthy... I'm really impressed by that. It's not just about embracing what we know, it's about challenging and critiquing what we know. Well, the room's filling up now, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave the ladies to enjoy this session. But I think as season two develops, I think maybe a, a dual... A dual performance, I think, could be cool, wouldn't love it? That, love that. We'd love that. Yeah. yeah. We'll do that at the end. Thank you very much for joining us. Enjoy the rest of your day.
So this is definitely the last interview of the day at Research Hall 2021 because <laughs> we're, we're in an yeah we're in an empty sport hall, sports hall now. All the chairs have been uh, packed away, but we're with Rob Coe, Director of Research and Development at Evidence Based Education and a Senior Associate at the Educational Endowment Foundation (EEF). Rob, thanks for coming on the podcast and yeah, waiting, be, waiting behind yeah, for us. It's been a long day. It's been a very long day, hasn't it? Um, can you just summarise for us, because you had loads of people watching you at the end and loads of people wanted to speak to you at the end, so obviously very interesting what you were speaking about. What were you speaking about? Uh, well, in, briefly about the Great Teaching Toolkit, which is a project that we've launched this week for schools, and it is uh, an evidence-based approach to supporting teachers, basically classroom teachers, in being a bit more effective in their practice. And I say a bit more effective because I think we know that this has to be a slow process, that there aren't sort of silver bullets and quick wins. You work at it hard over a long period of time and you see a small change in your impact and efficacy. And the question is, what can we do as an organization that supports schools and teachers to help them to make that more likely? Well, we try and leverage the evidence about what are the things teachers do that really make a difference to children's learning? What, um, how do we help teachers to learn to understand those things and to do them and to do them authentically and to do them sustainably and regularly and uh, for them to become automatic and habitual so they're not having to think too hard about what they're doing? And um, uh, how do we um, help them to see how they're progressing on that journey with good feedback that tells them, yes, you're doing this right, or uh, this still needs to be uh, tweaked a little bit, or whatever, that kind of stuff. And we've basically built a whole load of tools that we hope will do that, and we want teachers to try it out and see if it works. You're talking about evidence and good feedback. In your mind, what does good feedback <coughs> look like? Well, I mean, how long have we got? <laughs> Talk about that. That's a, a really complex question, is of course. Is it verbal or is it um, written? No, it's, well, a lot of it in this context is actually numerical. So okay. we're measuring and scoring stuff, but we're trying to do that in a way that, that gives them insight into what they're doing. So really breaking down the components of teach. So the unhelpful measure is like, you know, well, you're a grade A or something, mm -hmm. because what do I do with that? But if it says... Um, uh, you know, you're actually much better at uh, punctuation than you are at expression or vocabulary, well, then that gives me something to work on. So the more granular it is, then I think uh, the more helpful it is in general for people to act on. Where do our listeners and people who've been at Research Ed and anyone else in the teaching profession or, or for anywhere else for that matter, where do they get hold of this material? Okay, well, they go to evidence-based education, uh, and they uh, search on the t Great Teaching Toolkit and they'll be able to see it. You can try everything out for free, uh, have a look and get in touch with us if you're interested. Rob, just one final question. Research Ed is back. We've had over a thousand delegates here today. How was it being back in front of people? Fantastic. I, ca I cannot tell you how much I've been looking forward to being in a room with other people and talking about this stuff. And Research Ed is always a special event for me. It's just such a great crowd of people who are so passionate about what they do. They give up a Saturday to talk about research. I mean, you know, these are my people. So uh, it's been fabulous. Professor Rob Coe, no disrespect to the other speakers and people we've interviewed, but we've saved the best till last. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye now. And sadly, this brings us to the end of episode two of season two. And what an absolute belting start it's been. A two-parter live from Research Ed at the National Conference organised by Tom and Helene. 
Don't forget, there are many regional research ed conferences that you can attend and it's important to go and look out for them and continue to educate ourselves on research-based evidence. Thank you so much to everyone who's listened. Thank you so much to everyone who recorded with us today. It has been an absolute true pleasure to do so. We will be back with more episodes as the season progresses and we thank you for your ongoing continued support. I'm Daniel Bull and this is More Than A Job Podcast. Peace and clear now, baby. Yeah, yeah, cause it begins like...